Hello and welcome back to Hacker Slacker. I'm Jacob Petticord. And I'm Andre Garive. And this week I'm sitting next to a very esteemed Uber Rewards member. I have <laughs> finally reached the one, the only Uber Platinum. Uber Platinum, wow. Okay, after <laughs> how many weeks ago we talked about you know, how they were fairly worthless tiers... Andre was letting me know last week that we were going to take a fancy Uber because yeah, uh, I needed thing. to hit Uber Platinum. Because you needed by the to next hit Uber day. Platinum. So, how quickly the tables have turned. I had explicitly said, hey, I am not going to really worry about this. I'm going to do what my morals tell me to do and use Postmates and Lyft. And six months later, I'm at Uber Platinum. Um, and it's not terribly rewarding, but I also don't. I'm not upset that I got where I am. A lot of this came um, about a thousand of my points. So about a third of the points that I have all came on one vacation um, this summer just because I went to Vegas and we were staying far from the Strip. So we had to Uber in and out of the city as well as Uber eats all of our food in because we didn't, mm. we weren't in walking distance yeah. of anywhere. So we had to do Uber and Uber Eats anyway, which meant that basically... Uh, I was going to get a ton of Uber points, and then I realized how close I was to Platinum. And there's an awesome perk with Platinum, which guarantees you priority pickup at airports. And I fly a lot, and I usually Uber when I'm leaving the airports. And it's super nice to have the first one and not have to wait. Yeah. So I don't think it's that helpful, and I'm not sure <laughs> if it was worth it. But I also don't think I overspent explicitly that many times maybe two or three times i overspent on it but otherwise it wasn't that well you did it for the podcast right i mean did it for the podcast you have to experience it yes our listeners they would just be so upset if you didn't get the uber platinum everybody tweet at uber with the hashtag (laughs) uber sponsor hacker slacker uh and also hashtag andre hit platinum yeah there we go big okay so Starting with some follow-up, um, ByteDance, the TikTok company, said that they're making their own phone, something that we rumored in March, um, and it kind of is tying together all of their, you know, they have a messaging thing, they have, they're making a music streaming service, everyone keeps comparing this to Amazon, um, but uh, TikTok is kind of the one thing that puts them over the edge in terms of the comparisons to Amazon's failed phone business, right? Like, yeah. I mean, Andre has a little bit of experience with the staying power of TikTok, but it's got a lot more people than him, you know, really yeah. hooked. And so maybe it could be a thing, um, but just another development in something that we'll have to keep watching to see if like a social media company can become a smartphone company. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, I mean, I think there's an explicit difference in taking a hardware company and creating software uh, versus taking a software company and creating hardware. Because when you mm-hmm. look at some of the success stories when it comes to companies who primarily dealt in one and moved to another, um, you have uh, Microsoft and Apple as hardware developers that then became really great software developers. Um, and really the big hardware success for Google, a software company, mm-hmm. has been the Pixel and some of the google home lines and chromebooks and stuff and like chromebooks that and yeah. stuff like that and really for amazon it's pretty much just been like echo devices and kindle they, and the kindle, kindle they do the have day. kindle um and they just released a new one too um yeah but overall i think it's much easier for a hardware t- company to transition into making great software um and a lot of that is just because when you have a good piece of hardware you oftentimes have to create good software mm-hmm. for it to really be better to make it the best it can be, you know, a lot of times you don't have to rely on third-party vendors um, to make yeah. the software for you. And one of the interesting, like, one of the things I'll note about, like you said, you know, Amazon had the success of the Kindle. Um, you know, there's a very real hardware need there for reading ebooks, right? Like, a good e-reader was necessary for that. Um, yeah. And the same thing with, like, the, uh, you know, Alexa and the Google Home stuff. Like, they both require hardware to go along with the software idea that they had. Mm-hmm. Not really true in terms of a social media app when you look at yeah, TikTok. Um, exactly. This is more just kind of like a pure business line expansion, which you know makes me doubt that it'll ever be mainstream. And I don't know if it's even intended for mainstream success in the U.S., but yeah. it'll be, you know another company giving this a shot. And you also look at it like these big Chinese companies haven't had a good success rate with smartphones. I mean, Chinese smartphones aren't super popular, especially in the U.S. already. Um, 
really it's just like OnePlus and Xiaomi that have taken any sort of hold. Um, but it will be interesting to see what they do with it. If there's one thing like I can say in their favor, it's easier than ever right now to create a smartphone that can compete at the top of the line because they're all so similar. Yeah. And there's so many like, you know, smaller Chinese companies that are able to produce like really competitive phones, you know, especially on the budget side. Yeah. Like the Pocophone stuff that we've seen pop up. Like there's just, you know, a lot more, uh, it's a lower barrier to entry. It start. it's feeling like, um, but yeah, yeah, I think you had a TikTok. You might want to show me from our good friend, Yes. Gary V. now might be a good time since okay. we're on the topic. So I re-downloaded TikTok. Um, <laughs> I had deleted it a little while ago, and I just got kind of bored, I think, and I just <laughs> re-downloaded TikTok, and I'm very sad that I did. <laughs> Honestly, I, I shouldn't have. It wasn't a great idea, but then today I was just waiting for Jacob to get over here to my apartment, and I, I got this TikTok. Shit that they're offering in the, on the free page in the classifieds. Bring it home, take a picture, put it on Facebook Marketplace, and make four hundred dollars a week. Yo, just sell shit. Carry this shit on the bus. If this is broke, some classic Gary V. Go on the bus. Um, sit on the bus like this. Everybody's oh gonna God. look at you. Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep laughing. Come home. Do it. Take a picture and fucking post it on Facebook Marketplace. 15 bucks. Somebody's like, yo, I'll take your table. Ding dong. Yo, hello. Here you go. Sold. Go on, Craig. <laughs> so we're going to have to bleep some of Gary V's language there, but he, uh, I don't, it was just him, you know, doing his preachy thing where he talks about hustling and all that stuff. Yeah, not that's someone, his whole TikTok. Yeah, I mean, not someone who I would expect to see on TikTok. Exactly. I saw Howie Mandel on TikTok. Oh, geez. Um, it, I, I've just gotten so confused because we are the one age range that has nobody, like, mm -hmm. representing us. So I see a bunch of, like, I think it's also using my location, so I get a lot of, like, really niche like washington high school tiktoks because oh they look at my age they say oh he's 19 and in washington he'll probably like this and it's talking about like it's like rivalries between high schools in washington <laughs> and i'm like i don't care about the rivalry between tacoma and bellevue um i just kind of wanted to watch the things that are more like vines yeah it's funny because like you were saying like it feels like the people younger than us this is kind of their snapchat right now like yeah. It's something that people our age look at it and don't really understand, you know, just think it has like weird dance purpose, you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously it's been cracking the mainstream. That's why you see older influencers like Gary Vee, who I guess we haven't talked about much on this podcast, but I have yeah. very strong opinions about. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Old Town Road thing, obviously. Yes, Old Town Road. Which... Like, at this point, it's getting so loud, people can't ignore it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just really, really strange to me because the the app has attracted so many people and there are really a lot of talented like raw young comics on there that make really good funny content that's stuff that we used to see with vine and um, with vine a lot of those viners transitioned to youtube so if you look at viners like cody ko drew gooden mm -hmm. danny gonzalez people like that have all kind of gone over to youtube and at least in my personal opinion they make good content and then there's uh, X viners like Lele Pons that don't make good content, but the Logan Paul, Logan Paul, yeah, it's really weird looking back at Vine compilations and seeing like Logan Paul vines, yeah, and recognizing like, oh yeah, he was like a popular viner. They're so innocent, that. yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's it's really interesting because there are some really good talented comedians and musicians um, on this app. <laughs> That's what I want to find, mm -hmm. but the the amount of teenagers on this app. I say teenagers as if I'm not one. I've got two more weeks. Let, give me a break. Uh, the amount of teenagers on this app has made it so it's impossible to not get that kind of content on the For You page. Well, if uh, there's one thing I can point to that might give you hope of a place to get some of the Vine-style content back, I saw on Twitter today, I followed the guy who founded Vine and is working on his new app, Byte. Um, which is kind of literally like just supposed to be the successor to Vine. It started out with the name Vine 2. Um, oh, I saw yeah, that yeah. they were posting a, uh, a back-end developer role, and I read through the oh, job description a little bit, um, and uh, there was some language in there about how uh, we will know very quickly if this is 
going to be successful. So it'll either be high upside or, you know, fizzle out immediately. Mm -hmm. So it seems like their mentality is we're going to launch, we're going to go big and we'll know within three months whether this thing is actually taking hold or not. So that yeah. will be an exciting roller coaster to see if we can. Do you can... know if this is going to be a subsidiary of Twitter or is it going to no, 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 be completely no. separate? No, 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 it's 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 its own thing. Yeah, okay. Twitter doesn't own it, but yeah. So it'll be, uh, we will be watching to see how Byte does yes, and see if you know people our age maybe get back into the Vine style content again because I don't know. I I always appreciated the comedy and I feel like we're definitely lacking it right now. Yeah, it's harder to sure. find on Twitter. It is. Like I see a lot of things that are funny on Twitter, but. Um... I, I guess I have a really strange mix of, like, NBA Twitter and political Twitter and tech Twitter mm -hmm. and, like, then a couple comedians, so it kind of gets buried and all of that stuff. Yep, okay, so continuing on with follow-up, um, some more, you know, corporate stuff that me and Andre will probably get caught up in, <laughs> maybe unnecessarily. The Apple credit card <laughs> is coming out this month, um, supposed to come out by the end of August, um, Likely it'll be my first credit card just because I'm really interested in what they're going to be doing with it. And I've never really felt particularly motivated to get a credit card, but you know, the Apple card seems like it integrates nicely with every Apple thing that I own. Andre, what are your so, thoughts? At the beginning of the summer, I got my first credit card just to continue establishing credit. Uh, mm -hmm. It's nice because I've been applying to apartments and when you have good credit, then you don't need a co-signer, which makes life a lot easier. So, this will likely be my second credit card. Uh, I don't think I'll utilize it as much, or maybe I'll utilize it more um, because it's a MasterCard. Um, it's accepted a few more places than other kinds of cards, but it's also just like, it's Apple, right? It's beautiful. We talked about Apple yeah. product design, mm -hmm. and this isn't excluded from that. It's just so well integrated, and I really do think that it could be an awesome card to use. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we'll definitely be on that when it comes out. Uh, the last thing that I have in here <laughs> is just kind of a personal issue that I keep <laughs> seeing within myself uh, on a weekly basis uh, is my frustration with the new Facebook redesign. Not in the way you probably think. I'm upset because I think Facebook is now the most beautiful social network app. Come at me. Um, they definitely have, you know, reasons why. I dislike them. You know, obviously everyone knows all their issues. We, there's a couple of them. There's a couple of them. <laughs> but I use Facebook very rarely. So like if I, like I don't, I never check the timeline in Facebook, but you know, if I get a friend request or I get invited to an event, like has happened a few times this summer, you know, I open the app, look around a little bit. Sometimes I have to send people some messages on, you know, Messenger. And I really do think that their design is like some of the best in the game right now since they're redesigned. You know, Instagram is looking the same way that it always has, and it's just getting more and more cluttered with ads. Twitter yeah. looks the exact same way it always has, nothing particularly clean or, like, pleasing there. But when I open up the Facebook app, like, the redesign that they did with, I don't know if it's their font changes, maybe they have more white space or something now, but, like, ever since they switched to, like, mostly white and blue instead of their purple, it is, I don't know, it's, I think it's the most beautiful social media app, and I wish I actually liked it more, and I wish, you know, I enjoyed using it, but... I yeah. stay away from it as far, like, as much as I can, but every time I open it, I'm like, dang, this is, like, just a good app. I don't know. So, yes, uh, Facebook looks good. That's not what they needed to focus on at all. True. Um, there's, a, there's a John Mulaney bit where uh, they, where he's talking about um, how the, uh, in the Catholic Church in Rome, they're like, let's look at all of the problems we can solve. Number one. Nope. Uh, and so that's what Facebook did. They looked at their number one problem and they said, hey, can we fix that? Not at all. Uh, how about we move to about the 10th most important thing we can do? All right. I don't think that. I mean, there's engineers working on all the stuff there. There is. There is. Like and they, obviously there are like UI engineers and yes. people working these, on this These all are the not time. the same people that are fixing the privacy issues. They're just trying to make a good looking app. And yeah. But I, yeah. but if you aren't like very tuned into how engineering teams work at big companies like this, it can make it look like Facebook is not focusing on what they need to focus on, especially since they're not they're still not super visible about these things. Um, I know I got a message on Facebook the other day when they were um, taught when the day they got fined actually. So we recorded last week and I forgot to mention this, but they 
had a little notice that said, we're always working to keep your account and your information safe. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, we like to check in and let you know what we're doing to help keep your information safe when you, whenever you use Facebook, which is kind of, like, not super assuring. Like, yeah. I have this whole rant that I posted on Twitter about how I was attempt. I had a hacking attempt on my email account from uh, an IP red register. We should to, talk about that next because I saw right. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can talk about this. But so essentially, I had um, my email account was hacked, or at least attempted to be hacked, by a an IP registered to SaudiNet Tele- Telecom, which is the second time that I've had a foreign um, IP try to hack into my email address. and then You I, mean like log, month. like was it a successful login email? I have or? 2FA on my account. Okay. So it sent me like password reset requests and a couple requests from other services to my email. So do you think it they like they got, in. do you think they got the password right and it just hasn't done the 2FA part? Yeah. They, okay. They so definitely password got my was password out. out. Okay. Yes. Um, and the reason I have 2FA on is because about a month ago I was hacked by a, uh, telecom registered in China. Um, was it North Korea? Maybe. I don't know. It was, uh, some East Asian nation that hacked my email account. Thankfully they didn't get anything and they didn't change anything. And I immediately, uh, put on 2FA and trying to really lock down my email account. But, uh, I checked Have I Been Pwned, which we've talked about numerous times on this mm-hmm. website, and I realized that there was this link or this service called House that basically is like a um, house, uh, an interior decoration, um, house remodeling, yep. like inspiration uh-huh. site. And my mom had had me looking at furniture because they've got a new apartment or a new house a couple years ago, and. The only way you can look at stuff is when you make an account. So I made an account and I was like, whatever. I looked through my email on February 1st of this year. I received an email from house saying that they had uh, been hacked and that my email was likely leaked, but they said, and this is very important quote, we do not believe your password has been compromised, Mm. which was false because that was the only place that my data has been leaked to was through that house leak. Um, and since then, I've had both of those attacks on my email. It also took them three months to disclose the fact that they had heard about this or found out about this hack that happened to them. And they so it happened in mid-2018. They knew in December 2018, and they didn't announce it until February of 2019. Nice. <laughs> so not super happy about that. It was over 49 million unique email addresses. Um, and they sent out a, quote, security update, which was not an apology for this happening. Um, they just sent out, posted this security update to their uh, website. And they said, quote, protecting our users' data is our priority. Um, however, in my personal opinion, it is not. Um, and I, I think it's really important that companies aren't so nonchalant about leaking our data. Like, obviously, it was a huge deal to them, and they've been dealing with some ramifications and we'll talk about this with our first news story today actually but these companies need to be really like held accountable for uh what they've done the actions that need to be taken do need to actually be taken because a lot of times these companies don't have the proper um, organizations and mechanics in place especially through the government for them to actually be regulated when it comes to Uh, leaking data i think that's a really important thing this is an entire different podcast that we could talk about it and i know that house is obviously not the only company that this happens to this is just the one that personally affected me Uh, i got very upset and i dug into it a little bit more but this very much does happen to everybody and a lot of different companies but they were very nonchalant about it and they didn't apologize which i think makes them uh, more liable just because they don't, they say that security of data is important, uh, and, and then they don't even apologize when they truly fail on something they said was important. Um, but I'll stop my rant here, buried the lead a little bit. Uh, but we are moving into the news section, and our first news story here actually does relate. Okay, so yeah, there was, um, you know, people, we talked last week about the Equifax. Uh, 
payback thing. Yeah. And so... Which has run out of money now. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, so they ran, <laughs> they ran out of money, and the FTC is basically saying to people... Uh, yeah, so don't choose the $125 option because you're going to be disappointed at the amount of money you get and you won't get free credit monitoring, which seems like, uh, as I was saying last week, not enough. Um, they should probably just offer free credit monitoring to everybody whose data they leaked because it's their fault. Mm -hmm. um, and this really does show that the FTC's uh, interests are with the giant corporations, because uh, if the FTC were truly being a regulatory body, uh, they would say, tough luck, you're going to spend the money uh, because you leaked millions of people's social security numbers uh, and personally identifiable information. That is a tough thing to say. PII. PII. Yes, we edited some parts out last <laughs> week that you didn't know. But um, it, it really just, it's disappointing, to say the least. You are not having it with the big corporations today. I am today. not. I, no, I am not. Is everything okay, Andre? E everything is all good. <laughs> okay, so anyways, um, yeah, the Capital One breach uh, happened this week. It was probably the biggest story. And it's just so funny because Equifax stuff was, you know, like theoretically wrapping up. And now we have another, you know, giant financial institution um, linking millions of customers' information. Um, Capital One has kind of, you know, made a name for themselves in how progressive they have been in terms of technology. Um they are the biggest player in banking that's also adopting like cloud storage stuff. And so this leak is uh, maybe a signal for other banks to stay away from that sort of thing, which is interesting because it wasn't necessarily the cloud storage provider's fault. So what happened was a um, former AWS employee, which you know kind of makes it look like it's related to cloud storage, um, a 33-year-old named Paige Thompson, was arrested in Seattle um, by the FBI last week or recently. Um, and basically what happened was she got access to um, some Capital One uh, AWS credentials and was able to um, pull the information out because their firewall was misconfigured is like generally my understanding of this. And so basically what that means is like, you know, there's rules that you can set up about who can touch your stuff when you put it on the internet and they left a hole in there and she you know was someone who was knowledgeable about this kind of thing likely because she worked at AWS yeah. and was able to um, exploit that it's not necessarily a flaw in the security of AWS or cloud services in general no it's kind of an oversight on capital ones yeah and you know maybe we'll find out that it's you know some symptom of some user interaction that AWS could have done better to prevent, you know, like maybe the problem is in the education, but the problem is not like inherent in the product. So there's no, no reason that um, these services shouldn't be seen as secure, but this leak was massive. All that being yes. said, a hundred million customer information was leaked and, you know, um, they said no um, social security numbers or bank account informations were leaked, which is, an interesting statement considering 140, like the next line said 140,000 social security numbers were leaked. Yeah, so a blatant lie. I mean, if you look at 140,000 as a percentage of 100 million, it's virtually none, but it, that's still it's a very, you know, 140,000 people. Like, it's a significant number of people yeah. having their social security number leaked. And I think it was like 80,000 bank numbers, which could be bad as well. Um, so this incident, uh, is expected to cost the bank, uh, around a hundred to $150 million, which I thought is kind of crazy considering that's like a dollar, maybe a dollar 50 a person. And that's yeah. what the bank is kind of allotting for in their financial statements for this leak, which is not that much They're money. Just considering that a cost of doing business, which is really bad. Um, <laughs> uh, are you okay if I go into a quick rant? I mean, I, I don't think I'm stopping you. All I think right, you just gotta so, go. <clears throat> first off, I'm not trying to get political and or anti-capitalist, <laughs> although it might seem like it. So a big part of the issue here is that the way that tech companies in the current economy is structured is that a tech company comes into an industry and disrupts that industry. Uh, so what a lot of these financial companies have doing since they have infinite money to spend on whatever they want, 
Uh, they've been trying to disrupt themselves so that a new player doesn't come in and they can stay at the top. So you look at companies like the credit companies, like Equifax, TransUnion, and um, the other one, which Experian. I remembered this time. Um, and then you look at these major banks like Wells Fargo, Capital One, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. All of these companies as well have tried to just hire as much tech talent as they can into a financial system to disrupt themselves so they make the money from this disruption and they get to boost themselves up. So that is the basis for how this kind of problem starts, where you have tech talent, which is very much talent, but oftentimes isn't put in the innovative system that a lot of tech companies are. Because if you look at how engineers at a financial firm work compared to engineers at a large tech firm work, the way that a tech firm pushes product is making sure that things work before they release them. Whereas the incentives of a financial company don't necessarily align with releasing products and technology that works rather than releasing technology and products that is new and releasing quickly and being on top. So a lot of these companies are just trying to get like one leg ahead and then small issues like this can happen. But that is not acceptable when you have a massive bank that has this much information on people. It's not acceptable when Facebook has that much information on people and they don't have social security numbers and bank account numbers, right? It's not acceptable when Facebook does that and makes that oversight. It really isn't acceptable when a financial institution makes these oversights. So I think it's it's a side effect of these tech companies trying or these financial companies trying to disrupt themselves, but not doing it in the way that creates good technology, but creates uh, financially incentive technology for these companies. Yeah, I mean, I won't say I agree with like the way you framed everything, but I do think that the general issue is like. The more companies who maybe their core competency isn't tech yeah, have to use these advanced services, you know, mistakes like this will happen. Um, and, you know, maybe there could be things done to increase the punishments. I could definitely see that. I like yeah. a good argument for that. So it's definitely a conversation that's going to continue to happen. Um, I mean, one of the big things that we've seen that's semi-related to this topic is like uh, local governments getting their systems taken over by malware and then paying out ransom to the hackers. Yeah. Um, that's like a developing area right now because the hackers are slowly like, you know, like um, there is like a series of cities in Florida that were infected and basically locked out of all of their data. And the hackers were like told like or told them like, hey, pay us this much money, uh, knowing that the city had insurance for this type of thing. Uh, the city paid the money and then, you know, slowly is able to unlock all of their data, theoretically. Um, and so those hackers are like, they've slowly been increasing the prices that they're asking for from these cities, and eventually they're going to find the upper limit. And so, I mean, these types of breaches, um, you know, they're not going away anytime soon, probably ever. And so it'll be interesting to see if we get some sort of uh, legislative reaction to them. Um, and if we do... It will be big. So, yeah. Yes. Um, just a couple small more details about this. Uh, this breach occurred in March, and it wasn't disclosed until July. And that's another thing that uh, a lot of people get upset about. You know, you mentioned this, is how um, the timelines on these things are often like, oh, you know, every, this thing was infected six months ago, and then, you know, four months ago it was discovered, and it took them a few months to notify yeah. their customers. And I'm not going to say, like, they're not taking any action during those times. And no, a lot there, of times... there's a lot of logistical things that go along with... You know, you got to close the holes before you announce that they existed <clears throat> yeah. kind of thing. Um, but it is extremely frustrating from the customer perspective to realize that, you know, this is something that occurred, you know, significantly in the past. Yeah. It takes a day to steal your identity, yeah, to hack your account. exactly. It takes them months to release these things. And if you were hacked in the meantime and you don't know why, it's a big issue. Yeah, and it means that we also have to acknowledge that right now there's probably, you know, several big breaches that have occurred that the companies don't know about and a few also that the companies do know about yes. but they haven't been able to announce yet. So go to haveibeenpwned.com, like check out if you've been pwned, 
turn on two-factor authentication on your email. Whatever account you use to sign up for everything else, whether it's your Facebook account, whether it's a GitHub or LinkedIn or an email account, turn on two-factor authentication. You always have your phone on you. You can do it. It's not that hard. Do it. It will keep you so much safer. Yeah, and if you're a normal person, um, the phone number two-factor authentication is as secure as you need to get, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it'll get you you know, 99% of the way there. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that is our official recommendation. With that, um, the rest of our news is lighter. We have some fun stuff in yeah, here. No so. more scary rants from yeah, me. Yeah, don't get... <laughs> Don't get too scared of us. Uh, we have some Pixel 4 leaks from the source, Google Woo! itself. Uh, they have been continuing their interesting strategy of just pre-announcing features of a phone. Before. Of just showing off the whole phone yeah, beforehand. They're like, I, I, it'll, it'll be cool to watch what they decide to do on stage if they're just going to re-go over everything. I'm assuming they will, um, but this is a new strategy from them of just, I don't know, maybe slowly building up the hype for this phone over time. Yes. Um, this leak... All right, I guess this, let's just call them announcements It's an announcement. Yeah, it's on the Google site. Yeah, so these announcements were um, not expected, I will say. So uh, Google announced some new features coming to the Pixel, including, you know, a face unlock, um, but also going into this hand gesture detecting stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. Which I'd seen previously on an Android phone. Um, I can't remember which specifically. I want to say it was like one of the OG ones. but this seems like it's a level above a lot of this thing, and it seems like it is an initiative in Google that was much bigger than I expected. You know, yes. They have a whole special team um, dedicated to working with these very precise uh, touchless gestures, they're calling them. So basically, you know, they have the same type of fancy sensor array that can detect uh, your face to unlock the phone. Um, but, you know, they had the innovative idea of, you know, if we have that fancy set of detectors, including radar, um, why don't we use it for other utility purposes exactly. with the if, phone? If your front camera, or if your back, what, it, if your camera facing out Yourself? is so smart, oh yeah, why shouldn't the camera facing you be equally as smart? Well, and yeah, the sensors as well. And if you're putting all those sensors in there, you know, let's find other ways to use them. And so that's yeah. what they're doing. Uh, and it's essentially series of gestures that you can perform over the phone. Yeah. Um. To do actions on it without having to interact with it. Um, the basic stuff that is coming to the Pixel 4 is things like being able to skip calls or skip songs, silence phone calls, um, you know, interactions with playback and notifications and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Which is, I mean, the obvious use case is like, oh, you're doing the dishes, your hands are wet, you don't want to touch your phone, your hands are dirty, you can just quickly answer a call, quickly yeah. um, skip a song, that sort of thing, which is really cool. Um, and that is what we'd seen previously on the LG phone or whatever it was. But the thing that I wasn't expecting was that this is actually an entire like division within Google researching, um, where these sorts of interactions can go. And they've been, you know, combining radar and machine learning to, um, do some extremely advanced like gesture detection to the point where if you go to their website, they have like a series of, um, interactions almost like a basis for a ui defined in this way so they have a way you know like in rubbing your fingers together you can emulate a slider by running running one of your fingers down uh, another to like interact with sliders on a screen or a knob like if you twist and obviously a button if you like tap um, your fingers against each other so it's these sorts of interactions that you can perform in the air above the phone um, they have lots of ideas around this i could see accessibility use cases and you know that's the type of stuff that I'm excited to see what comes with it. You know, what's the next step after we're yeah. able to skip our songs? Um, and so it'll be cool to play around with if you get that Pixel 4. Yeah, so I think I'm going to get a Pixel 4. I know I've said off and on, yes, no. Um, I think the current plan, which is very, very likely to change, is to keep the iPhone 10, which I will own by the end of the month or so, um, and then buy a Pixel 4, uh, on the same style payment plan that I'm doing for my current iPhone, but I won't have to pay for the iPhone anymore uh, because the uh, Pixel 4 looks great. I am going to be very measured in my excitement because I am still a Google employee. Um, I still uh, don't want to release any information that I'm not supposed to. Um, I was shocked to see this come out. Uh, This was some stuff I didn't know about, and I'm very glad to see that it's going to be there. Uh, the design of the phone, you can kind of see, and it looks really good. Um, the bottom bezel seems to be gone now, which is awesome. So it's just like the sensors at the top, which 
honestly looks fine to me. Um, it's not notched. Like it's, yeah, it's just it, a it's regular like old bezel. Yeah. It's, it looks really good. Um, and I know the software experience will be great, but I am going to keep my excitement measured until the official announcement of this phone. Yeah. And I mean, the Pixel 4, I think the big thing will be, let's see what Google can do with two cameras because that's oh what they're doing goodness. now. Yeah. I mean, we talked about how their um, success has come from like their proficiency in like machine learning and computational photography and that they've been able to do what the iPhone can do and better with just one camera. Yeah. Um, and now the iPhone's having three. Well, Google's giving themselves another camera, so let's see if those same you know um, proficiencies carry over and they're able to do even crazier stuff, which I'm totally counting on. You know, like imagine this night sight stuff that they're able to do with like the fine shaking in yeah. one camera to interpret where more the light is. I'm assuming if they have two separate cameras, even if they're like slightly different types of lenses, that type of like depth detection can be even better because you know that's the way the human eyes work. So there's just gonna be a lot of things that they can improve on a lot and a lot of other cameras that will possibly be blown out of the water when this thing comes out. Yeah. So yeah, next thing, um, I have a couple pieces of news that got cut from last week because they were so long. Um, also, this week is probably going to be a news-only week, uh, yes. but I think you know we've had some, some solid side tangents that'll keep the show plenty long. Yes. Not too concerned about that. <laughs> Especially after our last two hour and a half long episodes. <laughs> but yeah, so um, Netflix is launching a mobile-only version uh, starting in India. It's basically a Netflix Lite uh, where it only works on smartphones and tablets. Um, and the big selling point is that it's only $2.80 a month. Um, it does only stream in 480p, but this is, you know, I mean, yeah, that's terrible. I, if you didn't see, I had, my face <laughs> had a visceral reaction to 480p. I, no. <laughs> yeah, it's a number that you hate to see if you're watching YouTube on anything bigger than a yeah. very old iPhone. Um, but, I mean, this is definitely a new business strategy in the it's content stream wars. It's something they have wars. to do, right? Like, there are a lot of people with not as good devices and not as good cell connections and not as much money that need this kind of plan. Yeah, so, I mean, everyone's always talking about the next billion users. That was kind of um, the previous set of five years. That was the big discussion was, like, who's going to get India, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that race never really settled, I don't feel like, um, but it's going to happen in the streaming content. You yeah. know, like, a lot of these services depend on you being able to stream lots of high quality video well we've seen social networks come out with their you know light versions of apps for emerging markets netflix is doing the same thing um it could be huge for them you know that's still a lot of money if it's used across a lot of devices and um if they lower the barrier to entry eventually a lot of these uh, consumers could potentially convert to higher paying customers so that's true um, it's an interesting strategy to watch. And another very interesting strategy that I saw, um, just kind of a cool piece of kind of like tech businessy stuff, is this new Square Photo Studio uh, thing that was announced. Um, it was a lower key thing, didn't make the cut last week, but um, for $10, you can ship your product to Square, um, who is the e commerce payments company, and they will take your product shots with a robot and send you back high quality, you know, um, Amazon ready, e-commerce ready photos. That's super useful for small business owners, especially like you don't want to buy a $300 camera just to take pictures of your products. Yeah. And you don't want to have to hire, you know, a freelancer to come to your place yeah. to do this. So, you know, if you're selling coffee mugs, you can just ship square your coffee mug, tell the robot which angles you want, you know, to help show off the unique parts of your product. Mm -hmm. And for $10, get um, enough high quality images for the gallery on your site. You know, that's amazing. I think that's game changing. Um, and when you think about, you know, the barriers of putting together a good e-commerce site, um, companies like Square have solved the payment sides of things. Companies yeah. like Squarespace have solved the website side of things. But people still have to, you know, display their physical products. Yeah. And, so, and even like some of the content stuff, there are companies that will produce the products that you want to sell. Yeah. It, a lot of it is display. Yeah. And I mean, this was one of the last areas that you had to interact with a person. You know, there wasn't yeah, just that's a service true. that would do this for you. <laughs> you had to probably hire someone or know someone who had a nice camera to get this sort of thing done. And now there is a you know low barrier to entry way to get this kind of stuff done, and I think it's really exciting. 
Um, if you pay more money, um, you can also get a 3D, you know, model of it um, photographed yeah. by the robots, which is cool. Yeah, that's really um, cool. And it's all done within two weeks, which, I mean, I think that that's this awesome. is, yeah, a very interesting line of business um, for us to see Square in. There's actually another piece of Square news from this week that doesn't really look like Square news, but it's DoorDash buying Caviar. Um, those are two food delivery companies. Um Caviar was actually owned by Square, uh, which is why I mention it. Uh, DoorDash bought them from Square for $410 million. Um, Caviar, I've never used it before. I actually, I've only used Uber Eats. I've never actually even used DoorDash before. Have you used Postmates? I haven't used Postmates either. I've had all these apps on my phone at one point, but I've only ever actually used Uber Eats. Um, But my understanding of Caviar was that they had some more higher-end restaurants on their service, and so... Um, this is likely an acquisition of those clients for yeah. DoorDash. Um, and DoorDash has been seeing a lot of success recently. I think that they're the, the market leader right now in terms of market share. It's them they're, and they're Uber pretty Eats. Yeah. Um, and so they've you know recently raised a large round of funding, and they decided to buy up some of the competition with it. So um, I think people have been expecting some consolidation in this area for a while now. And it looks like it's starting to happen. And really, market is a huge part. Like, the number of restaurants you can offer is about the most important thing you can get for a delivery service for Mm -hmm. food. Um, When you look at things like Uber Eats and Postmates, um, the only reason that they're successful is the number of... And DoorDash, obviously. uh, The the number of restaurants that they are partnered with. That's what makes them successful. Um, they, They can have all the users that they want, but if they don't have more options... People are going to stop using the product. Well, and I think the funny thing in this city, especially like living in a, a bigger, more modern city than where I've lived previously, every <laughs> yeah. restaurant you walk into has stickers for which delivery services yeah. they use. And, you know, I've seen like 10 plus stickers when you get into oh, like some for like sure. catering apps yeah. and stuff like that. So there's a ton of competition. Um, and a lot of these companies are, you know, not aiming for profitability yet. So we haven't really seen this market shake out and see who can actually hang around. Um, when it comes time to have to make money. Um, but this is definitely a move towards, you know, evolving this market. Yeah. Um, and this affects a personal project that I'm working on because Square... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, uh, this summer, have been making a order pickup app for a business that uses Square. Um, and Square had similar there they had a service that did this sort of thing and then they gave up on it and just bought caviar and now they're giving up on caviar yeah so i mean one of my main concerns with making this um order pickup application was square is just going to do it eventually and uh all my work will be useless now it seems like they're not super interested it seems like they're not interested in that market it seems like they're you know more interested in taking pictures of your products i guess um but kind of a good sign for me um, <laughs> and I'll definitely be exploring the space, um, when I have more time on my hands, when I'm back in school, but yeah, um, good news as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Next. Um, this was a huge story that we just kind of didn't really cover last week. Um, yeah. but Apple dropped a billion dollars on Intel's cellular modem division. So, mm-hmm. um, the 5g arms race, uh, Apple, uh, this was rumored for a little bit to happen, yeah. but this, I think this actually happened the day of recording. Last week, which is why we didn't include it, because we had a mm-hmm. really long podcast to begin with, and uh, we wanted to just save it for this week since it would still be fairly fresh. Yeah, and so the idea is like, um, in the past there was, you know, Qualcomm provided most of the modems. Qualcomm and Apple had some disagreements. Apple started to use both Qualcomm and Intel. Um, I think if you asked people um, who care about this sort of thing, um, there were times when you could depending on, you know, just randomness of which, uh, like if you bought an iPhone, I think seven, you could have gotten one with a Qualcomm or an Intel modem, just depending on random factors. And people would prefer the Qualcomm one Mm -hmm. just because uh, they were, uh, Intel had issues with modems in the past. People were kind of less trusting of the technology. Um, And even like recently I saw like a post about like, you know, why does my phone keep disconnecting from cellular networks when I move out of a building kind of a thing? Yeah. I mean, my phone has been 
having severe issues, but I don't know if that's just Verizon or being in brick buildings all the time. Yeah, I've been having more troubles in the city, like going in and out of tall buildings with it trying to reconnect. Yeah. And Which is know, something you don't experience when you grow up in the Midwest. Yeah. Especially in like the suburban Midwest, it's just not something you really ever consider. Uh, even being a techie, you just, you don't experience that. Yeah. Well, and the top comment about this was like, oh, it's probably because they're using these Intel modems now. And so... Mm-hmm. There was kind of a negative sentiment about it, and Apple is big, Intel's biggest customer, and so um, Apple is, you know, bringing some of the people and the technology in house, um, and not only will this hopefully, you know, let their teams kind of perfect the relationship between the products and the, uh, you know, modem to yeah. hopefully alleviate some of the issues uh, that comes with, you know, dealing with the third party. Um, and we'll make it better for the users, but also it opens the door for, you know, combining some of this into, um, their systems on a chip that they like to do. Yeah. Everything on every chip on your Apple iPhone will likely soon be, well, actually will definitely soon be completely developed by Apple. I guess that's true. Yeah. They took the GPUs in house. I don't know enough to say they've been working. They've made their new security chips and yeah. all that, but I mean, it, it, they definitely haven't been adding third-party vendors. Let's yeah. just say that. Um, but they um, bringing these modems in house will let them integrate it with their you know fancy um, CPUs that they've been working so hard on. Yeah, and even their uh, you know that's a benefit for the iPhone. It can save them space. It can save them resources, um, and they can get efficiencies outside of you know bringing the hardware closer together. But where it could really be a game changer is in small products like AirPods, where yes. integrating all this stuff together and um, being able to focus the technology on those sorts of products, not just like a general application, um, could be a, a true game changer. You know, in terms of like, oh, we might have to change the way we think about uh, cellular plans if like your headphones can be connected to the internet. Yeah. Because I mean, if for the price everyone's paying for their phone now, they could have their phone, their watch, and their AirPods on the cellular network, that would mm-hmm. be great. Like, if I could just tell Siri to stream my um, Apple Music playlist and go on a run, yeah, that'd be awesome. And all you need to take is your AirPods. Yeah, and so all of these non-phone things are getting tiny, and yeah. one of the biggest, hottest things besides the main processor is this modem. Especially so this with a, 5G coming. Especially with 5G coming, it's, like, totally unsettled. Um, how much of a burden that's going to be. And so this is part of Apple, you know, getting in the 5G, what, like 2021 race and getting, um, you know, making a move so that future more advanced hardware can be enabled. Yeah. And they were said to be working on their own chips anyways. So this Mm -hmm. is probably getting them out of some legal troubles with Intel since they already settled with Qualcomm. Yeah. And I mean, Apple is really good at making chips uh you assume the continuation of moore's law which says that the computing capabilities of computers uh can double every 18 months or so um basically just means that the components are getting smaller and smaller uh exponentially because you can just cut the size of a component in half uh which then allows you to have double of them which doubles the the processing power of it. And so you have a company like Apple who is now fully integrating every uh, chip that they make, all of the uh, motherboard hardware, essentially, in the uh, iPhone. And even these modems will likely end up on watches and iPads and laptops and all that. But especially when you think about the iPhone, this could be really good for them. They are really good about creating these types of hardware, and hopefully that'll continue and get even better. I just put Moore's Law in the main topic list because that is something that we need to discuss at some point. Absolutely. Okay, um, moving on. This is uh, probably the most out-of-left-field story that we've had in an interesting news day, Um, but Sony is making a personal air conditioner. Andre, what do you think when you hear the word personal air conditioner? Something about the size of, like, a a small, like, desk fan uh, that you put, like water in or coolant or something that then like heats like a little bubble around you yeah it does some sort of thing like that so i've there's existing products like that this one goes in your shirt whoa Um, i just opened what yeah and so the idea is you have this like undershirt that has a pocket in it 
that you slide. Um, I don't. How would you describe the look of this thing? It looks like if you took uh, an Apple Magic Mouse and then slid it into like a rubber case, um, and that, then put it in your shirt. Yeah, it's like a little bit longer yeah. than an Apple Magic Mouse. You know, obviously it's bigger. Um, you slip it into a pocket on your shirt um, at the where your neck meets your spine on your back. And yeah. the idea is um, you can wear it, you know, under all of your heavy business suit. If you're, you know, the main target for this is like Japanese businessmen. It's launching yeah. in Japan right away. Um, but it's called the Sony Rion Pocket. It's coming out of a special like R&D division at Sony. And it's uh, been crowdfunded, which I thought was interesting that it's a product at Sony that also crowdfunded. That is really interesting. But their crowdfunding was successful. Um, and so... They're claiming that it can lower your body temperature by 23 degrees Fahrenheit, which um, having been on some swampy buses this summer, yeah. if I could have gone from uh, 80 degrees to 60 degrees, I yeah. think I wouldn't have been sweating. Uh, so I am a pretty hefty guy from a pretty sweaty family, um, or as I like to say, thick. Um, <laughs> with two C's? I, yeah, with two C's, maybe a Q at the end. <laughs> but I have had like just problems with back sweat especially when i'm wearing suits which i have to do a lot more than i'd like to just yeah. because of like the way that i go about life a lot of professional events um i just marching band marching band i am in marching band it is 90 degrees and i am in a full marching band uniform and it is so hot and we're in a metal stadium that's just bouncing i didn't things. even think about that if this thing was cheap i feel like everybody in marching band would run every single person in marching there's 300 people in just the nebraska marching band alone i will sell this i sony <laughs> sponsor us hashtag sony sponsor hacker slacker um but this would be amazing. If, if, if this actually works, I would buy two of them. Yeah, so the, the cooling is nice, 23 degrees. I think that is more than enough to make a difference. Um, it can heat you up 14 degrees, which you know could push like a 45-degree day to being slightly more comfortable. Yeah, um, when it's negative 2 degrees, and I also have to be outside <laughs> for marching band. There you go. Yeah, so I mean, uh, these... Numbers aren't huge, but, you know, they make a giant difference, especially for something that you can just slip in the back of your shirt. Yeah. Um, one of the big things people were calling out is that it technically only has, like, a two-hour runtime. But, you know, if you're commuting to work, you have this little device in there. Hopefully, your commute doesn't involve two hours, more than two hours yeah. of, like, being hot. Unfortunately, some of my use cases are, like, 12 hours long for this thing. Okay, well, maybe <laughs> you'll be a version two kind of guy. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you you know, you wear this thing into the office, and then you're not going to be wearing it all day while you're in the office because that's where the air conditioning is. So yeah. you take it out, plug it in at your desk, and then you have it for the commute back. So, like, I think this thing is a great idea. It's not, like, um, a big, loud, fan-based air conditioning unit. It uses some weird technology that I had never really heard of that kind of, like, conducts the cooling into your body and the idea is that like it's not trying to cool the air around you because that would just be dumb you're yeah. not going to cool the whole subway it's like literally pumping it um into that part of your body that is like theoretically a good part to like distribute the coolness throughout you yeah um so yeah back sweat is an issue especially when i'm doing my commute home straight up a hill yeah. Uh, it's been very annoying and so wearing a backpack which is the uh oxymoron oh my gosh of back put it in sweat. a backpack i didn't even think about that put oh. this little air conditioning thing in a backpack i would love it I would love oh it that would be nice especially because the only way to hide back sweat is with a backpack yeah but the way you get more back sweat is with a backpack <laughs> that is killing two birds with one stone my friend oh yeah. my goodness okay so um this thing is shipping in 2020 and it's starting at 120 dollars for a V1, I don't think that's too crazy expensive. If no. it's something you were going to bring to work every day, um, if they can get that battery life to 12 hours and get the oh price goodness, to like 80 bucks it. and yeah. bring it to America, I think that uh, this might be something that you would have heard about here first, but you'll see in a lot of places sometime soon. Yes. Uh, I will definitely be using it um, as soon as I can. Yeah, you should try to import it. That would I be should. Funny. I will try to find some somebody in Japan that, <laughs> that can get me one. Yeah, that um, it's exciting when just like weird technology like that that you never really think of just randomly shows up. Yeah, and like and that that is why I love having the show because it's like oh I get to talk about this stuff now. Exactly. Okay, stuff that's not quite as fun to talk about. Um, Uber laid off a third of their marketing department. Um, it was pretty big news. They cut four hundred people. Um, you know, 
doesn't sound like a whole ton of people, but when a company that's you know supposedly growing as fast as this makes a decision to consolidate a department like this, it's something that is worth looking at. Um, yeah, especially and, since they just IPO'd. Yeah, and the context around this is that they just IPO'd, and the big question has been, will they ever reach profitability? You know, if they get self-driving cars, will they even be profitable? Because their whole business model has to change. Um, all of that is, uh, you know, highly questionable. Definitely room for debate. Um, and the leadership has said there is more consolidation to come, which isn't something that you exactly love to hear. Yeah, not not something that is particularly good. Yeah, and our our boy Dazra Kazrashari said um, they need to get their edge back, basically saying that you know he's trimming the fat, like they may have gotten a little bloated with their um, you know. As they tried to increase their value to IPO, yeah. and now they're trying to cut back all the fat that they gobbled up when they were doing that. So, I mean, yeah, they have 25,000 employees internationally, and so cutting 400 of them, not an insignificant amount, um, and especially with plans to cut more in the future. I think it is an interesting indicator that may show that they're taking these profitability concerns more seriously, and you know, taking a look at their balance sheet and being like, okay, what would it actually take for us to be profitable? Maybe we have to reconsider some of this growth that we did. Maybe we need to cut back. And the best version of Uber isn't one that is just on this crazy trajectory in terms of hiring. And it's something that's running a little bit leaner than maybe they thought yeah. um, initially. And so uh, what the world will be watching is their Q2 earnings, which is coming soon to see um, if there's some positive indicators, you know, in the direction of profitability, if they're not losing quite as much money. Absolutely. So, bit of a bummer on that one, but it's just kind of something that happens. Um, I wouldn't be completely shocked to see Lyft do something kind of similar soon. Yeah, I mean, I doubt that there's not a, not as, as much of a scale, but, but uh-huh. some layoffs from Lyft wouldn't be shocking. Yeah, all it's it'll be something that'll happen. I think to a lot of these companies because when you're in that, you know, growth, growth, growth is yeah. all that matters kind of thing. When you're just burning through VC money. You're doing whatever you can to acquire as much talent as you can. And, yeah. you know, we see this yeah. as computer scientists. Like, you know, they do all sorts of crazy stuff to hire us. And when these companies yeah. are faced with questions of profitability instead of growth, it yeah. becomes a different value proposition. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. The last bit of regular news I have is that uh, Ninja is leaving Twitch for Mixer. I'm assuming multiple people in the audience just said, I don't know what any of those words were. Yes, this dropped this morning. I was looking at my phone. And I was like, oh my God, what? Yeah. This is huge, especially when you consider Mixer is Microsoft and Twitch is owned by Amazon. Yeah, so those are two video game streaming platforms. Um, and Ninja is uh, the biggest streaming personality, I would say. He has the most followers on Twitch, the platform yeah. that he just left by a factor of two. Um, so he's really in a league of his own, especially in terms of like mainstream penetration. Um, in the months like following Fortnite's big hype thing, he was all over the place. Yeah, he's been on all sorts of things. Uh, back when Fortnite first came out and all of the hype was going down, I was playing it. Um, I watched some of his stuff. Um, and there's this company called MeUndies. They just do like underwear. Mm-hmm. And um, they sponsor a bunch of podcasts I had listened to. And they also sponsored Ninja. So he basically... No, actually, they didn't sponsor him. He basically mentioned it. Somebody asked him in a comment, and he's like, yeah, I get mine from MeUndies. And the website broke. <laughs> yeah, so this guy has a crazy amount of power in terms of the just size of the audience that he has and still has all this time after Fortnite. Um, yeah. He's obviously a very talented entertainer. Yes, I mean, he didn't that is just one get thing. Is, he's, he's not just like a guy who happened to find the game that he's good at. He is a very entertaining person who does a really good job with his personality. Yeah, and so um, Twitch, obviously, we mentioned, owned by Amazon. It was acquired, I think, maybe in the lifetime of the show. Um, um, I think it was not. acquired within the year before the show. Yeah, so fairly recently owned by Amazon. Um, Mixer is like literally the same thing as Twitch, video game streaming platform much smaller. Um, it was acquired by Microsoft. Mixer actually has a story that I'd like to look into more because their co-founder is, or their founder is extremely young. I think the guy might still be high school age. I can't oh remember. Oh my goodness. But um, yeah, I definitely want to look into Mixer at some point. But um, I haven't really heard, this is the first time I've heard of Mixer outside of the context of I was touring Microsoft and I saw the Mixer sign. 
And so, um, I mean, that just tells you what a move like this could do for their platform. Absolutely. He didn't just decide to do this out of the blue. He was paid an untold sum, which I'm assuming is massive. Um, I'd really like to hear how much he got paid. I'm hoping that can be follow up at some point. I hope it comes out. I couldn't figure it out. Um, but this is an area that Microsoft and Amazon are competing. And I think if you would have asked anyone five years ago where you thought Microsoft and Amazon would be competing, nobody would have said video game streaming services. I mean... Yeah. I mean, that's that's just not what you think about. It's like, okay, yeah, maybe Xbox own Or, like, Microsoft owns Xbox, so maybe they would do something related to video games. But yeah. they definitely didn't own any streaming platforms. And Amazon owned nothing um, related to Twitch um, yeah. at all. So... Um, weird times that we're living in. Absolutely. But it was a big move and, you know, could potentially, you know, when you look at the major players in video streaming services, YouTube, number one, Twitch is a number two, basically. Um, but it's just the niche of video game streaming. Uh, And then you have Vimeo, which is the back, you know, YouTube's little brother will never get out of its shadow. Yeah. You have Mixer which no one ever really talked about, was never really heard of. Supposedly, they, I've heard they have good technology. Um, and, you know, this is their first chance to maybe catapult themselves into the spotlight a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's that's basically all there is to this, this huge move that happened. Um, and what's interesting is that it not only touches within the gaming community, but also within the tech community. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, there's a reoccurring type of story that I talk about on the show sometimes that I don't have a good name for, so I'm calling it Science Corner right now. Which you're stealing from the Bill Simmons podcast, I'm assuming. Do they say Science Corner? I don't know. Well, they, they say whatever corner. Oh, gotcha. Parent Corner. Corner's just like Gym a podcast corner. thing. Maybe, maybe Bill invented it, but <laughs> I'm not giving him credit for this one. Um, <laughs> essentially, you know, there's these stories that I see that are like some crazy future science thing. You know, last week we talked about storing uh, data on molecules. Oh yeah, yeah, on DNA. Just like stuff like that. That's you know not technically tech news, but tech future kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, science is what tech is going to be in the next fifty years. Yeah, and it's not always super timely, but it's timely to me because it's when I see it, and that's exactly. what I want to talk about. It's it. cool. So we're gonna talk about it. Um, this episode, I have a couple things on smart contact lenses. Something that, um, in my mind, you know the smart contact lens could potentially be the future of technology, you know, Yeah. that could maybe be our interface. Our children's children's smartphone could be the contact lens. I don't think <laughs> yeah. we'll see it in our lifetime. Yeah. But um, always, always an interesting science fiction topic. Um, the first iteration of the smart contact lens I want to talk about is something coming out of the University of California, San Diego. They are lenses that... Um, detect movement in your eye to switch between near and farsighted, kind of like uh, the split uh, eyeglasses. Hmm. And the idea is that, um, you know, technology like this could be used to um, not only enable people who have to have, what's the term for uh, split focal? Bifocals? Yeah, for people who have bifocals to be able to wear contacts. But it's also the first use case of um, contacts being able to react to um, inputs that you're giving them. Yeah. And so, um, it's in, you know, early prototype phase. No one's actually putting these things in their eyes yet. But, um, the idea is that there's little sensors that are, uh, you know, obviously extremely small fit in the contact and they can detect when you blink twice and they can switch between, um, near and farsighted, you know, the, the bifocal thing, uh, depending on what you need at the time. And eventually, maybe they can detect when you're looking down and switch to the nearsighted uh, versus when you're looking up for the farsighted. So stuff like that could be extremely useful for people who have that type of vision problem. Um, But it is a good first step in terms of being able to give smart contacts inputs. Yeah. Let's hope that we get colorblind contacts in our lifetime because I would love that. Oh, yeah. I I might have seen something about colorblind contacts. I'm I'm looking at it, and I think it's in maybe a bit more advanced state than these smart contact lenses, but... Not exactly on the shelves in Walgreens. Exactly. Like, I just went to the eye doctor, and they're like, unfortunately, there isn't anything we can give you contacts-wise okay. for it. Yeah, no, I've seen a YouTube video. Maybe it was, like, glasses, though. Oh, uh, the glasses? Yeah, the glasses exist. Have you tried those I on? I have not tried them on. They're, like, $300. 
But okay. um, yeah, you need to find someone that has those because you need to see color. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Okay, and the next one I have is something that is actually on sale um, that just kind of came up in relation to this article. They are transition contact lenses. Yeah, I've heard about these. Yeah, I didn't know these were a thing. Essentially, they just like react to the light yeah. and can change to dark. They're on sale uh, by Johnson & Johnson. They're cleared by the FDA. Um, and one of the interesting applications I saw was it was like a soccer goalie, right? Like if you're playing sports, you can't wear – I guess you could wear the sports goggles. Yeah. But most people don't do that. Um, you could potentially, you know, get an advantage by being able to see into the sun yeah. with your smart contact lenses. <laughs> the big concern with these is that they kind of make you look like an alien because your pupils yeah, you, go really dark. Yeah, you're, uh, it slightly changes your eye color when it transitions. Yeah, so if you're someone who has, like, a lighter eye color, yeah. you can look kind of funny in them. Um, but, I don't know, it's just another interesting contact lens technology science thing that I noticed when yeah. I was looking this stuff up. Yeah, I like this science corner. We'll have to keep this up. Let us know on Twitter if uh, this is a good thing at HackersPod. Yes, let us know anything on Twitter. We're yeah. always listening. <laughs> yes. All right, so I guess we're just doing stories today. Um, no main topic, so you've probably already heard an ad, but do you have anything else for today? That is all I have. All right, thank you for listening. You can contact us on Twitter at HackersPod. Send us an email at hackerslackerpod at gmail.com. You can send us an Anchor voice message through the Anchor app. Uh, we would love to hear from you. I will probably put one or two polls up on the Hacker Slacker Twitter at HackersPod this week, so keep your eye out for that, and we will talk to you next week. We have one episode left in Seattle, right? Yes, and then, then the one-year anniversary. And the one-year anniversary, so get excited. we got some big stuff coming. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.